Hi, I'm Mari Forth. And I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. We'd love it if you would subscribe to our feed. Please go to robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed. You'll get your true crime on Tuesdays, as well as helping to keep this program going. So uh, what did we watch this week? All right. So let's open today's file. We watched Eat the Rich, the GameStop saga. It's a three episode docuseries on Netflix directed by Theo Love, who directed The Legend of Cocaine Island. Yeah, that's a new one for me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And we are so pleased to welcome our returning guest. He first helped us navigate the doings of a disgusting fertility doctor in Our Father, one of my personal favorite episodes. Uh, Now he's going to help us click buy or sell on this docuseries, the man who puts the married into the Married at First Sight podcast, Mr. Jason Reed. Jason, welcome to Crime Scene. Uh, Mari, uh, Sarah, I, I'm so happy to be here, but I do feel a little deceived uh, by <laughs> you two. Uh, you said, hey, come on and do Eat the Rich. I was like, oh, we're going to do another cannibal story, like an army <laughs> hammer. I'm always down for eating the rich. Got no problem with that. Let's see them get eat up. But no, now we, now we have to talk about stocks and finances. I, I was told there would be no math. Well, yeah. there's there's a little math. You don't like sperm. You don't like math. What do you want? Uh, you know, both those both those things I, I shy away from in my everyday life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, not not two of my favorite topics you talk about, but I, I I enjoy talking to you two about anything. So I will I will rip my way through and try to understand everything that's happening in this documentary. And you are not the first person to claim that we got them on here by nefarious means. So I'm glad it worked. <laughs> well, if, if you do, if you'd done your homework and looked up the property, you would have seen what it was. But no, you just rolled in here just thinking, oh, I'll just wing it. I trusted you two to steer me in the right direction. Y'all two know me. You should know that I'm not a finance guy. I thought you guys had my back. But no, I will listen. Uh, we'll talk about it. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's all good, though. I uh, I enjoyed question mark what I saw. So we'll, we'll get into it. Right. I, I think it's safe to say, at least for me, I felt like we were all possibly deceived. on this. One. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I saw GameStop. I was like, oh, let me let me crap on GameStop, you know, who's you know always been so so nefarious in giving me like a quarter of what I spent on a game to sell it mm-hmm. back to them. But then there's almost no talk of the actual GameStop company in this documentary. So I was deceived again. <laughs> I gleaned I gleaned that each game was sold about seven times. So yeah, that definitely, be- that definitely before, sounds right. Before, before yep. the games were available elsewhere, it's a fantastic uh, model. Yeah. All right. To the crime. And in a crime scene first, our guest, Mr. Jason here, will do the crime breakdown. So. In January of 2021, hedge fund Melvin Capital took a short position on shares of the failing GameStop. Redditor to Wall Street bets and deep effing value. <laughs> I'll, uh, Go ahead and cuss. It's already called deep fucking value. And YouTuber Roaring Kitty, who turned out to be the same person, Keith Gill, rallied retail traders on Reddit to buy GameStop shares, which created what is known as a short squeeze. Hedge funds stood to lose millions of dollars and Wall Street panicked. The socially mobilized investing ground to a halt when the trading app Robinhood turned off the buy button for the stock. A congressional hearing led by Maxine Waters found collusion between the app Robinhood and Citadel Capital. You sounded like you knew what a short squeeze was there, Jason. Well done. <laughs> I, I, then I'm very convincing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, the crime question mark um this will be another one of our 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 was this a crime episode it's like jason it's like you're the is this a crime or is this not a crime style guest i think was okay yeah i mean i guess technically the last one wasn't a crime but we all saw the crime there (laughs) i think the crime to society was the last one and maybe this one too Right, exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so this is a, a, a it's a property on Netflix. Eat the rich, uh, the GameStop story. I mean, I'm gonna ask you guys what are your overall take about the documentary? It is, but I want to just say, like, going into this, I was very intrigued because 
I don't know if you guys were like, you know, glued to the TV when people were talking about buy GameStop, buy GameStop. I distinctly remember that happening in 2021 and remember looking at the Robinhood app like, should I gamble my money? And then be like, no, nah, girl, no. <laughs> and then like, and like close. <laughs> so um, what did we think we were going to get with this docuseries and how do we feel overall just broad? Uh, broad strokes before we get into it jason i'll start with you wait broad strokes i thought i was i you know i got pretty much what i almost thought i was going to get i did think i did think there was going to be some input from like gamestop the company but there was Mm -hmm. none um Mm -hmm. but i did think i would see a lot of kind of like everyday people describing their experience with it um i didn't really expect too much to get a like financial lesson right uh, but that's really a lot of what this is and I will say, I'm not sure what the model, why the model of this documentary is what it is. Why did we need three 40 minute episodes? And they're just, oh my God, one thing. But I guess that's, <laughs> that's a minor nitpick. And no, it's a big nitpick on our, <laughs> on our show, Jason. <laughs> and, and if I was, if I was a independent editor coming into this, I probably could have called a good like 30 to 45 minutes off this thing. Yes. Ugh. Oh, that's <laughs> well, <laughs> Um, I found the runtime perfectly cromulent. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, uh, I'm alone here. I liked this. I'm going to spoil my ratings a little bit. I liked this very much. I thought there was much to be uh, admired about it. I liked the way it was done. I liked the speed of the editing with the interstitials, I think, which mirrored that kind of frantic frothing that was happening at the time. Mm. And unusually, Murray, we had a a, a narrator. We don't often get a narrator right. these days. Uh-huh. Often uh, documentaries are crafted so that the story unfolds itself through the talking heads or through, um, you know, uh, television clips or what have you. But here we had Guy Raz who is an NPR podcaster, uh, creator and host of How I Built This and Wisdom from the Top. And Mm -hmm. I really appreciated the narrator in this case. I think it worked really, really well. We needed it because if we didn't have a narrator, I would have been so lost. I wanted more of the narrator and less talking heads because I felt like we had so many talking heads Mm -hmm. that we had too many talking heads. You know, like Mm -hmm. I felt like there wasn't a lot of focus on just a number of people. We just got smatterings of different people at different random mm-hmm. times. It mm-hmm. seemed little, little like a good word was frantic that you used, Sarah, because it just yeah, felt kind very. of fast paced, a little all over the place Too for, much me. for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that the number of retail investors at one point, uh, you know, the little people. I thought, uh, do we have too many of them? But then at the end, when I each like of them had mm-hmm. a different yeah. uh, outcome because of a different a mental attitude towards the trading of the stocks. I think it really paid off there. The one that lost everything, the one that lost 50%, uh, the one that gained 40 times and the one that gained 70 times and why that was. like What I really appreciated about this documentary above all was the idea that money isn't real. It's all a gamble. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows anything uh, and that it if you see it as a gamble, and what happened with the Redditors and the retail traders is they didn't care and Wall Street had never modelled for a large population of small people just going, ah, we don't care if we actually make money or not. I think some people might have regret, regretted losing money, but uh-huh. some people didn't. They said, let's just do it. I liked very much that the documentary um, wound back to the 2008 mortgage crisis and Uh talked about how it was a very scary time, according to one of the hedge fund managers, but that everything went back to normal. The banks, yeah, as Uh I remember the banks getting their bonuses after they had been Uh bailed out. Banks got bailed Uh out and then the executives got their bonuses. And this to me was completely horrifying. So maybe the crime here is capitalism. Oh, definitely. Because, you know, from that from that housing crisis, people lost their jobs. You know, I mean, their jobs, their homes, like they lost their homes. So it's just like it's it was one of those ones where I'm going to have to push the subject matter aside a little bit only because it was very infuriating. Some of it is just like the when when the rich people are are 
throwing their money in my face, I get up angry. Like I'm like, I'm like that's one of those. Well, things. you had so many. You had you know, it was a it was a mix of different types of people, and you had a few yes. of the people that were so like condescending yes. about uh, the little people, and you know, all they're they're usually not that big of a deal, but this time it was. And then you had the guy, mm-hmm. uh, was his name, Jason Murdick, who was uh who was the head of a financier, yeah. like. Just so unfazed. Oh my god, that dude! Oh, just sipping on his Pellegrino in a uh, you know in a quiet shot, just just living his life. Yeah, he said it was the Mm -hmm. an outcome of a system that has worked incredibly well. He's talking about the subprime mortgage crisis, where people Mm -hmm. lost homes, lost their lives, because some people decided to not Mm -hmm. live anymore because they were completely wiped out. And um, he's sipping on his Pellegrino. I mean, it must also be said all these hedge fund managers were. Exactly who you think they'd be, uh, self-satisfied white men. It took a Mm. while for us to see uh, any variation in the talking heads. Including one that insisted that he was a David, that he was on us. Oh, yeah. Andrew Left, uh, the founder of Citron Research. He was very interesting because he, he, he originally claims that his job was finding companies that were failing pointing out that they were failing and then he would short sell them which would put money into his pocket so he originally was saying that he was on the side of like the davids when in the game stock um situation he took the side of wall street you know um by saying like oh you guys are just you you keep uh buying up all this game stock stock uh stock you're going to fail you know you should stop because you're playing with fire here and I mean, they they saw it as him trying to stop them from, you know, not only just crashing, crashing the system, crashing the economy, but like making money like these people were were making money. And I'm pretty sure we'll get into that a little bit later. But I I want to talk about like a few of my nitpicks and a few of my like things I did like about it. I completely agree with Jason three. The three episode thing, I, I know I, I keep saying we got to stop talking about it, especially if we keep doing Netflix properties and we know Netflix's model is you need the three episodes or whatever. But honest to goodness, this was just annoying because the first one was like 40 minutes. The middle one was only 30 minutes and the next one was like 40 minutes. I think you could just squeeze it all together, make it a feature length, take about 10 minutes off. And I think I still would have came away with the same thing. And that would I was confused. Uh, because rolling into my next point, I don't know if they um, explain the financial, the, each financial situation clearly enough. I, I don't know if I was just, I was just sitting there like Michael Scott, like tell it to me like I'm five. Like I had to rewind a few times and, you know, it could just be me. I, I've never had a mind for business. I'm a scientific mind. I, I business and numbers kind of just go over my head, but I don't know if that's the case because in my recommendations, I'm going to recommend like three properties that I think did a fantastic job explaining the financial crisis or a financial crisis like that in a way that I understood. So I don't know. Am I out on a boat here, uh, Jason? No, not at all. I, w- I was that like gif of that dog, like the head, his head cocked, like, huh? Like <laughs> through a lot of this, like as a, even when the first thing as I explained shorting stocks, the yeah. guy's like, you borrow a stock and then you do this. I'm like, okay, you borrow from who? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, me and you, Amari, in the same boat. I don't know about Sarah, but I just was like, through a lot of this, I was like, okay, you got to slow it down even more. I'm, I'm sorry, you got got slow out. And in the like kind of uh, writings that I saw about this documentary, so many people were like, and they explained it in such a great way. I'm like, I, I didn't get that whatsoever. Yeah, it might just be me. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's us, Mario. Maybe we just are financially uh, uncouth. Um, but uh, you know, in, in thinking about the the GameStop saga, uh, there's a, a moment where they're describing what late to the party means uh, mm. in their terms. Mm-hmm. And I'm someone that's typically comes to the party after after cleanup has finished. Like I, yep. I'm that late to the party. Like I remember, I think I want to say the same day that I found out about the GameStop thing was the same day that Robin had cut it off, and that's why yeah. I cared about it. Like. <laughs> Like what that was happening? How come I didn't get it on this? Like, where was I? Like, why did I hear about it? Um, but yeah, that that's where I am typically on these. I got into uh uh if anyone knows what Top Shot is, those uh basketball NFTs that people were selling. I got it like oh, on no. the telltale end oh, of that. I, no, I didn't lose money. I made like 10 bucks, but I got in like at the end of it, like when it was going down. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I am always, always late to the money making party. Oh. That's just who I am. And I I am glad that I found out about it too late because I think I would have been one of those people that would have invested a lot and then crashed and burned shortly oh, after that. Oh, no. Sarah, did did you find it easier? Is it is it easier for you? Uh, look, I don't have a financial brain anyway. I think I have about $3.69 in my bank account currently. Nice. Uh, but I did understand it partly because when information like that comes at me, I kind of unfocus and I think just I'll get the general idea. Like I didn't mm. try and grip on to each piece of information. Um, okay. And I thought that the, I actually thought the documentary did a good job explaining it mm-hmm. um, because its focus was really the people involved and yeah. the broader theme, I think, about what do we think about money? What do we think money is? And what is your relationship with risk? and gambling. I mean, one of our retail investors, Alvin Chow, who was actually the one who put his thesis onto Wall Street Bets, the Reddit thread, he turned, this is a young man who has been trying to get into hedge funds. He wants to be one of the Goliaths. Uh Uh, They won't let him in. Uh, He is an Asian man, not saying that has anything to do with it, but they won't let him in. He's a retail investor who historically are people who don't are seen to not make money. He turned twenty five thousand dollars into eight million dollars. Million. Eight like it was million dollars. He does a tremendous amount of research and his mm-hmm. thesis is knowledge sharing is really good. Yeah. So some I'm glad he's not in a hedge fund, but some hedge fund is really missing out on this really bright interesting, uh, socially conscious young man. I thought he was incredibly impressive and he was yeah. very ca- calm about the whole thing. Hey, yes. Like, uh, Eight million bucks, uh, you know, it's, he, it's what it is. He it's was the one he was one of the ones I really like, like one of the talking heads. I like I'm I'm like, I'm surprised you have a lot of money and I'm and I like you. I just liked how cool and calm he was about it. And it and it didn't seem like he didn't seem like some of the other ones who were like, Oh yeah, I made it big. You know what I'm saying? He's just like, Yeah, if you if you do the research, you follow the paths, you stick with the trending and the holdings. And it was very interesting. So yeah, so when they're explaining the concepts, they do a good job of at least putting the infographics on it. Like they they do a good job of making it for visual people. And like Sarah said, taking a step back, I I just know it took me a while. I really did have to rewind it uh, a second. So I'm not, I shouldn't knock that against the documentary. It probably should just be my level of of understanding. One thing I did like coupled with something I did it (laughs) was I liked how, when they're going through like the Reddit posts talking, like breaking down wall street bets and the the social side of it, I got that. So Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I understood they're like, here are these people. Here are these people. This is Wall Street Bets. They post on this. They then go to Roaring Kitty and they hear what he says. Like, the social aspect, I got that down pat. I think it was just the financial aspect. I didn't get it. I would have had to be one of those people on that post to be like, okay, just who are we? Who are we betting on? Like, just, just tell, like, just tell me where to go. Yes. Tell me what to press. Yes. Tell yes. me how much money to put in it. I'll do it. Just tell I'll me. do I, it. I yes. trust y'all. Like I, I shouldn't trust Redditors, but I do. In this exactly. Moment. Exactly. So I, so I liked how they were going down the Reddit forum. I like how they were explaining the terms to us, like diamond hands, like you're, mm. you're holding, yeah. like that, that means you're, you're holding paper hands mean you, you bought the stock and you, you sold it off as soon as you made a, a tiny bit of profit, you know, like you, you're a coward. You couldn't, you couldn't hold in long enough for it to go up. Hands. I'm <laughs> 100%. When I'm telling you, when they were showing how far up that stock went, I was like, hundred dollars? Sell, sell, sell. <laughs> and then it was like oh, four hundred. I was like, damn, I would have lost out on thousands. Well, but then one of one of our re- one of our retail um investors, she she looked at uh, I think she had sixty thousand or sixty-five thousand in her account. Mm-hmm. And she thought, Oh, should I sell? She held and she was one of the ones that lost uh she lost fifty percent. Sort of quite smartly yeah. figuring out how to lose as little as possible. She, she's Presumably regretful, but she's just she seems to take it, uh, take it on the chin. Yeah, she talks know. about how her highest was like ninety thousand, I think. That's right. Yes, and then she talked about she was one of the late to the party people, Jason. So yeah. she was one of the people who bought the stock at like two hundred something dollars. So for her, it was almost 
gonna be boomer bust anyways because she got in it so late and then uh one thing i did like was them the timeline so yeah. they the timeline of when people start talking about oh GameStop, GameStop might be where we want to go like the 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 low swell of support on the for the social investors roaring kitty deep fucking value like getting in on it when it was like six dollars a pop um telling them like hey we see it's rising we just need more the chewy investor coming in um investing money popping it up to about a hundred dollars or so and then them holding on to it until elon does his tweet it hits me one of the winklevoss one of the winklevoss twins gets in on it yes and then so and it just shoots up and then I love how they have the date on it. Like that peak of all of that happened in almost like a day or two days. Like, and I love that portion. And the retail investor that we were just talking about, the one who she went up to 90K for her, like I said, she bought so late that she only had about a day or two to kind of try and top out if she wanted to. And by that time, like we alluded to earlier, Robinhood then made it so nobody could buy any more stocks, but they could sell the GameStop. GameStop stock <laughs> and because they couldn't buy it but they could sell it people panicked it started selling so it crashed it is now bounced back up and from what I understood what that retail investor did is she's now invested more money so that she makes a profit so that she'll eventually break even so I just wanted to highlight that right right there for a second but I, I know yeah, we'll I- get into a lot of more people's stories I think you're right, Murray, the way the graph went uh, and the events being reflected in the rising of the stock. So they're waiting for it to go to $150. It doesn't quite get there. And then, Mm -hmm. as you say, Elon uh, Musk tweets about it. One of the Winklevoss twins uh, tweets about it. If you don't know them, they they are the inventors of Facebook, if if they are to be believed, played by Army Hammer in the, uh, the film. So I liked that. I liked seeing what was happening in the world being reflected in what was happening in the stock with that graph. I mean, mm-hmm. the numbers the numbers are extraordinary because before Robinhood restricts the buying of the of the stock, Melvin Capital, uh, and I'm going to quote, closes out its short position. I think that means they sell everything mm-hmm. that they that well they get out of the position that they got or themselves they into they had to buy it back yeah. and they had a loss of 6.8 billion dollars that's billion with a b um yeah so this money is sort of it's just imaginary and mm-hmm. the water closes over and Things move on and capitalism moves on. And as we saw in the 2008 crash, everything returns to normal in Uh the macro and in the micro, people are just devastated in the wake of it. Yeah, that was one thing that I think we could have gotten a little bit more of, like all of this money you lost. Who did that affect? We got a little bit of it at like, I don't don't know if it was near the end when they said, oh, that's police unions that are investing. That's like nursing whatever that's your pensions like i feel like they should have gone into that a little bit more the only reason why i know about that is again from some uh, some other properties uh jason what were your what was let's say what was a a thing that you liked about the documentary i like so i like the timeline because it sharply defines how quickly this took a turn it was within a day that Mm -hmm. this thing you know (laughs) turned real bad yeah. And that was all based off of one thing that that the that it did that Robinhood did by turning off the buying it it torpedoed everything. I also really liked the twists and turns that the story took. With that, mm-hmm. I don't know if I was expecting. Like it's like at, by the third episode, it's like okay, so who is to blame for this? And it's mm-hmm. like oh, it's Roaring Kitty. I was like oh shit, Roaring Kitty is like is a bad guy here. I didn't realize that. And then it's like oh, but wait, Robinhood and uh, you know Capital mm-hmm. Investments they're in cahoots together. I was like oh, I did not expect that part of the story because I didn't know that part of the story because right. this to me was a momentary like thing that Blip. happened in yep. society. I was, and yep. I just totally forgot about it after like a week. After yep. hearing like more popular outlets talk a little bit about it, and it just kind of mm-hmm. died for me. But that's just for me. There are thousands, maybe millions of people out there that were paying more attention to the story before 
and after this all happened that are still following it and still finding out about what I just found out through this documentary. So I did appreciate that it provided that information for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that's a great, great point. I, which was also weird to me, like when they're like, "Oh, it's Roaring Kitty's fault," and it's like, "Is it?" Because I right. don't, I didn't, I didn't get what they were trying to blame on him, other than he he was like a licensed investor or something. So they tried to say that he used his credentially credential, like wrong. I'm like I mean, for. Sharing information, like I thought he was. So they were weird. almost saying that he was like insider trading ish. Okay, but, but I think just because he had like advanced level information that he was using that to manipulate the market. He's had his brokerage license taken away. Um, mm-hmm. There was a class action lawsuit against him, which has been uh, dropped. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was using his smarts to give information to the masses, as far as. It seemed to me, but is that from, illegal though? Like, yeah, is that from illegal? A legal aspect. I didn't, because I didn't. It made no sense to me. I was it like, it could be said that he's influencing the market by by yeah. recommending and by uh, talking about about GameStop. Yeah, that was one of my favorite segments. Was like the yeah. congressional hearing. Oh for God. both for both number one. Where mm. uh, where Rory Kitty is like you know in his suit and he's telling the congressional okay. committee like I really believe in GameStop like GameStop is going to be the next you know place for all for gamers to really a big destination spot I mean lying just out of his ass <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> like uh, he lying everybody else is like oh yeah I definitely believe that he believes that the stock is really really great like all mm. the other retail investors for some reason were also backing this up like in their confessionals I didn't understand yes. that part like so, the lady that was so mad mm-hmm. I like that lady only for this like aspect of her that she was so mad that Toys R Us went away yes, <laughs> yes I liked right. her yeah uh, she was, she was, I was upset. With her on that yeah, uh, <laughs> but they all seem to be like, oh yeah, he really believed in the stock. Like, are you saying that because you're in the same like position that he is? Like, you don't want to be busted too for this? I didn't so, understand that part. So during the congressional hearing, right? It was it since it was during the pandemic, it was online. Mm-hmm. What was happening? What we were watching? Which I I'm pretty sure this is what I understood it to be. The other, like the you saw those people popping up and like, oh, he's just gonna say I like I like the stocks, I like the yeah. stocks. And when yeah. he did it, everybody's like, Yes, it was um a reaction video. You know yeah, how I, just, I kids, understood that part, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. The kids love their little reaction videos to things. <laughs> but it, it took me a minute because I was like, cause when they were doing the swearing in part, I thought yep. they were swearing those people in too. I was I was so confused. I was, I was in like, the same boat, Mark. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh no, they're reacting to the congressional hearing by putting their commentary on top of it, which honestly, I'm not gonna lie, it was pretty funny. It I did like that. Made it very palatable. I think what yeah. was really, really interesting, and the documentary doesn't underline it too much, but it's absolutely there and it's completely blatant, is how little the Congress people understand mm-hmm. about the internet. Like they mm-hmm. actually do not understand how the internet works. Boomer's going to boom, about, baby. Hey, <laughs> watch out. <laughs> um, and, you, and you think like how much of our lives are now on the internet, for good or bad, it's here, mm-hmm. apps, phones, internet. And for people that are governing our countries, because I would expect that you would hear the same from um, politicians who are younger than me uh, here in Australia, they do not understand how the internet works. And so there's a fundamental inability to to govern and to make to make laws about it because they don't understand right. it. Exactly. Great and I think, I think the funny thing is, is that's generational. Like That's not going to stop. That's mm-hmm. not going to, in 30 years, there are going to be people that right now are, understanding different outlets in social media that are going to be as lost with whatever comes up next in mm-hmm. in our society. So, I, you know, we can't say that, like I, I said, boomers going to boom, but we're going to be in the same position 30 years from now, not understanding what the, uh, what the quote unquote kids are doing today. Jason, you just have to I'm keep in up that boat right now. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 listen, I understand. Like I'm, what is I'm, the TikTok? I'm no. 30. Uh, I'm 30. So, and I, so I, I understand. I'm, I'm looking at, you know, my teenage yes. daughter is telling me stuff and I'm like, what? Yes. Like, but that's, so but that's the solution. Now. That's yeah. the solution. You're, you're going to the person who knows. You're going to the person mm-hmm. with the knowledge. You're going to the person that it affects, your teenage daughter, and she is explaining it to you. That's all politicians have to do. Listen mm-hmm. to experts in whatever it might be. And, and then Me- medicine, acting, internet. 
Yeah, stop acting like you know what you're talking about. Exactly. As, if, as it felt like those exactly. congressional people were, they weren't asking questions. They're making assumptions based on misinformation that they had because they didn't bother to consult people that knew. They didn't get briefed. They just decided right. that they knew. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I would, you know, um, we are going to try and explain just what we liked and what we didn't like. If you want to really uh, dive deep into the what the documentary is about, we would suggest, uh, docuseries is about, we would suggest you go and watch it because there's a lot of stuff that we can't really like really dive, dive deep into it. But I do want to keep continue to talk about some of the talking heads. And I, I really think that the the retail investors really made this documentary for me. I really liked hearing their stories because I mean, for some of them, you're like, maybe that could have been me if I was on that, that Reddit board. You know, it made me stop and think like, should I get on a Reddit board? And I was like, no, girl, you're too lazy. You don't like to gamble. You like, like this is not for you. Listen, mid, midway, <laughs> midway through the documentary, I was like, let's look up Robin Hood real quick. <laughs> and, then, and then it was like uh talk and then start talking about like all the like you know collusion that went on with Robin Hood and, and uh mm-hmm. Citadel. I was like, oh maybe yes. not. Maybe not. Um but I, I think another part that I really like if we're just talking about like we're talking about the talking heads. I think mm-hmm. I liked the talking heads. I would have preferred like if we had had a kind of montage of talking heads at the end that would have been good. I didn't like mm-hmm. all the talking heads just popping up randomly in the middle of everything, saying the things that everyone else could have said. Yeah. Like the couple that rode around in the van. Their van. Oh, yeah. God. I, Joe and Abby. <laughs> yeah, I could have done without them until the end where they ex- explain a little bit of their story. They were the I, diamond hands. Yeah, mm. they were diamond hands. Um, but yeah, I just felt, I felt like there were too many talking heads popping up at different times. I would have preferred it to be more at the end where they explain their kind of their stories, their testimonials. You didn't yeah. find that Mikey Guggenheim. Oh, Mikey oh Guggenheim. God. No, don't uh, tell me you like Mikey Guggenheim. I, listen. Dis- I disliked him intensely and I enjoyed disliking him. And, there you go, Sarah. Perfect. Uh, perfect summation. I, he was the villain that you love to hate. Yeah. Um, so I, I enjoy I enjoyed the nonsense that was it really provides some good levity for the documentary, mm-hmm. I thought. I mean I mean Mari, so you're telling me that you want me to save my rap and uh you know I go not ahead. show you what I wrote on my uh, on my buttocks. If you uh, oh my going to save that is what you're saying. No, don't 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 uh, don't, don't spit my rhymes here that I that I wrote for you. Uh <laughs> I'll I'll save it. I you didn't like it, so I won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it'll yes, stay in the Mikey vault. Guggen- it'll stay in the vault. Mikey Guggenheim and Derek without a C. And what was the girl's Rachel, name? Rachel. Her name is Rachel. Rachel. <laughs> She's not an intern. Sorry. I'll Who's not an intern? Yes. Uh, <laughs> they were. They were a lot. I was so. I was sitting. I was like, this is a bit, right? This is a bit. Like I could not tell if they had were real <laughs> retail investors or not. For like a good portion of it, I was like, "Oh, they're serious. They just are unserious." You know, like I said, I I liked to dislike Mikey, but they went to him too many times. I was like, "Okay, we can do less of him." Yeah, Uh, for sure. I did not need the rap. Um, Mm. I did not. What about the buttocks? Definitely need the buttocks. Yeah, I didn't need that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I I did enjoy the little music video at the end. Um, That was a fun piece. Yeah. Like you can't be, yeah. It was it was a, a point of levity. It was like, but it was just so much because in in Sarah's uh, what Sarah was talking about uh, um, originally, the frantic nature of it. Like ten minutes into the documentary, I was like, dog, I I don't need this many cuts to random things. Mm-hmm, you know what yes. I'm saying? Did y'all notice that there were so many? Oh, there's yeah. so many recreations, and then so many cuts to random things. It'd be like a person. It. A person being like, yeah, you know, um, I I needed to buy a new boat, and then smash cut to a yacht smash cut to champagne on a yacht back to the person i'm like well i don't even remember this guy's name but it was the guy that was in uh tennessee uh austin total or something austin tobin just could have just totally cut him out of the whole thing i don't know why he was in it he didn't come really come back around later he popped up a few times to say a couple things like that's what i'm talking about we had too uh, many of those yeah things. i thought i thought we were going to get more from austin because he his chiron said subreddit moderator and he was the only one that was a moderator rather than a user right. of the boards and mm-hmm. i thought we were just going to get a little bit more granular with him 
I would have preferred less experts explaining more because there were just experts popping up. We got their little Chiron and I was like, okay, why was this person involved in this? I don't understand. Like why yeah. are they here? Yeah, more yeah. Taylor, more Taylor Lorenz. Taylor Lorenz is the internet culture reporter for the Washington Post. I thought she uh she appears later, I think, in the first episode and continues to kind of navigate us uh through the next two. I could have heard more from her, I think. Yeah, I just thought there were too many people involved. I would have yeah. I would have preferred more of a streamlining uh to have less experts explaining more, if that makes I, sense. I agree did, with that. Did I- you enjoy Crispy Ream though? Crispy Ream, the um, I, I enjoy the fact make, that he lost a lot of money. He lost his house. <laughs> oh his house. That, he seems like a douche, so I kind of enjoyed. He was uh, mm-hmm. he lost money. He wants, but, he wants to make TikToks all day in a mansion with pretty girls. Well, yeah. the mansion's gone, baby. It yeah. that was so weird. They introduce him at like the final hour, just I think just to be like, oh yeah, this dude lost his whole entire house, like. What? Like, like it, I said, a shorter segment, like a, just a segment with people talking about their their a short telling of their journey. I would have appreciated more than just randomly him popping up every now and then. Yeah, and then at the end, like he lost his house. Like I like that they opened up with uh Eddie Eddie uh Koo, I think it was. Yeah, Eddie Koo was a good story. I enjoyed the progression so of that story. Yeah, uh, so that was that was an example of it done very well. And he seems like and he seems like the type of retail investor that I would have been because he seemed like he didn't have too much knowledge of retail investing. It wasn't something that he was like doing. Eddie Koo had like he has a family. I think his wife, I think he had two children, I think it was. And he talked about he opens up the documentary. Well, Jim Cramer opens up the documentary, but Eddie Koo is our first retail investor who opens up the documentary talking about how he had just, you know, COVID because of COVID, they both lost, they had lost their jobs. They had young kids. So they had to find childcare within the house. They were trying to make it work. And he was just saying he was, you know, he was on the Robin hood app and the, the message boards. And he just had, it, it felt way more natural. Like he had just happened to fall into retail investing and it led to him buying shares in GameStop through Robinhood. He talks about at one point his account reached six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I would have cashed out. I'm not saying anything about Eddie. I cash out like a hundred thousand. I'd be like, oh, fantastic! I can do a lot with this money. I'm out before this thing crashes. Like I said, I'm paper hands all day. All day. Um, he. Yeah, yeah, I can't even remember what he said his in, initial investment was. I, I want to say it was like I, I can't remember. So I'm not yeah, even. It was in the. I it was he, only in the low tens of thousands. I think. Yeah, I think he ended right. up with like 20. he ended up with like two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollar. Uh, yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. Kind of windfall there. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you think about it, like you said, Mark, that's he was still good. Six, yeah, yeah, but he was at six hundred <laughs> something. Yeah. A thousand at one point, and that just shows you the volatility of this whole thing. Yeah. Um, they go you know, up and down so much. But yeah. I think in my in microcosm, this is the financial markets. Surely they are mm-hmm. just it's mm-hmm. all imaginary money. It's mm-hmm. all people shouting. I used to work at the, in the 1980s. I worked at the Futures Exchange uh, in O'Connell Street here in Sydney. And it was an absolute I used to have to go onto the floor uh, of the of the Futures Exchange. It's completely frantic. Those mm-hmm. shots that you see in films of of. White men, yes. as it was then, <laughs> shouting and uh, waving uh, pieces of paper and throwing things and screaming uh, is exactly what it was like. It was very hard to be on the floor. It was very hard to be on the floor as a woman in her early 20s, if I may uh, just leave that there. And if I can just tell one quick story, there was a gas yeah. main uh, uh, breakage, which meant that uh, gas was coming into the building and uh, we were evacuated and the um, fire and emergency response had to literally drag these traders off the floor. They did not want to uh, leave the floor for a moment. They dragged them all out into the street mm. and they were still screaming and shouting and red-faced. And so whenever I think of financial markets now, I have that that visceral mm. um, body memory of being in amongst this incredible uh, energy, and it's a very dark energy, I think. So, just that that that's it. And the futures exchange is 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 crazy too because you're you're buying 
um, commodities that have not, you know, you're buying sheep that have not yet been born, you're buying wheat that has not yet been grown, and you're trading it. In five years' time, I am going to sell this imaginary wheat to you. It's just crazy. Wow. Sounds like gambling. Um, it's all well, gambling. I mean, you and you say that, Mari. Like, I mm-hmm. I appreciated the kind of the dark turn that we took on to Robin Hood, talking about the different Please, features, yes. the mm-hmm. different features of the site, and how it drew people in. And I really began to think about like about me and like so as as Mari I know knows I'm a big fantasy football person, mm-hmm. and in the last like couple of years, I've gotten into DraftKings. Where it's like oh, uh, mm-hmm. daily fantasy football, where like you get to pick players and you put money in, and depending on how well those players do, you may make money, you may lose money that you put in. I thought about how easy these apps have made it to to do that because with DraftKings, it's so easy, so simple. You end up like I had to, I had to stop myself and I was like, okay, you're <laughs> you're putting in too much money now because you can mm-hmm. easily easily spend money on these apps because it's so convenient, it's so right there on your phone. It you don't feel the impact of it until later. And I thought that was very well illustrated in the documentary of how these companies, and they talk about how the company did this, all this research to talk about how to draw you in, talk about mm-hmm. the, the images and the animations in the apps to kind of get you to spend more money and make it seem like a more fun, gamey type confetti. of, of thing. Confetti yeah, confetti every time you do something. And mm-hmm. I really appreciated that about the documentary and how succinctly it put that. Because I thought about it in the moment, I was like, "Yeah, that's just like me with DraftKings. Like, uh, you get suckered into spending all this money because it's so easy and so so fun in a way." Uh, so, like I said, I appreciate that. I think on that note, unless uh, anybody has anything else, let's get into our ratings. Jason, how many magnifying glasses are you going to rate Eat the Rich out of a possible five? Uh, you know, uh, I think I'm going to put it at a two, to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, because I like I like I've been saying, it felt so all over the place at times Yeah, where I, re- I, I feel like it really kind of lost the narrative sometimes and then it would randomly pick it back up mm-hmm. and it would have all these offshoots. Um, like I said, too many talking heads. Hmm. Uh, I just would have felt I would have liked a more streamlined experience. Maybe as we talked about, Mari, uh, it not being three episodes, just one feature would have helped a lot because those those breaks really do kind of like throw you off a little bit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just would have felt more like I mean, it's it's only like a t- uh, less than two minute break for like credits and then just <laughs> yeah. autoplay to the next one. But it, it's still a little like takes you out of it for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just would have felt I would have felt better with more streamlined experience and a more uh, steady experience i'll say that so i'll give it two i did appreciate the information it gave me um mm. i wish it would have <laughs> dumbed it down even more for me <laughs> um, but that's my that's my thing not theirs um but yeah i'll give it to sarah how many magnifying glasses will you give this uh, uh i liked it very much i'm giving it a four mm. i liked the style i liked the tone I liked everybody that we spoke to. Yes, it could have been trimmed. Yes, we could have dropped a few of them. But I am a fan of this docuseries now. I would say I ding it because it could have been a feature. But other than that, I I learnt a lot. I was enraged. I Mm -hmm. was informed. And I was certainly entertained with all the bells and whistles of it. So I'm giving it a four. How about you, Murray? Um, I'm going to give it a 2.5. Uh, I, I want to give it more, but I truly can't. I think, I think the pros are the, the talking, the retail investors, their stories, seeing their wins and losses at the end really put a lot into perspective for me because I don't care about these hedge funds. I didn't care about the hedge fund tanking. Talk more about their misery for me, please. I, I didn't, I feel like we didn't get more of that. Again, I, uh, I'm trying to think of positives. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't strain yourself, Mary. <laughs> I, I know, I know. So, I, I mean, I like the retail investors. Like I said, it was one of those things where we talked about with the Bling Ring documentary, right? I liked the Bling Rings documentary use of social media graphics, graphics that uh, popped up, like 
uh, the colorful and brightness of it. This one had too much of that. It it oversaturated me with the the social media graphics. Every two seconds, we're on fake looking Reddit posts, which all the memes they kept posting all the mm-hmm. memes of stuff that m- kind of made my head hurt and watching the robin hood app uh, ding every time every time during that you know it was it was very much overstimulating for me and I, you know i've 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 talked about on this documentary a few times how i can get easily overstimulated sometimes so it was just a, it, it, it was just a, a lot for me and the ending kind of fell flat because I think they could have again went harder on Robin Hood. I think to me, at, but by the time this ended, I was not mad at Roaring Kitty. You know, uh, the hedge funds, I was still upset at. But I felt like this is Robin Hood. Robin Hood literally stole from the people they said that they were trying to help. You know, become financially independent. Because the moment they took that buy button away from those people, people lost millions of dollars. You know, not coll- you know collectively. So I. I really felt like we should have gone in on Robinhood, but they actually did. A lot of the retail investors afterwards, Robinhood had went public themselves. Their stock is falling. And a lot of the retail investors that they had uh, interviewed throughout the whole thing was like, oh yeah, I use Ameritrade now. Oh, I use this now. I don't even use Robinhood anymore. So I, I guess it, it it was a, a okay, satisfying conclusion, but I did not watch it a second time. Like I was not compelled to watch it a second time. I had plenty of time in the world to watch it a second time. And um, I think this is where the docuseries format actually heard it because I, Jason said it's a two minute stop in between. I had to take breaks to watch it, to get through it the first time. It was not compelling to me. So I, I'll agree with you there, Mari. I had to, I like, I could not watch all three episodes at once. Mm-hmm. After each episode, yep. I, in that in that way, I was glad that he broke it up like that because I was like, you know what, I'll come to the next episode later. later. Um, <laughs> but I did have to watch it a second time just to try and understand uh, certain things. I didn't I didn't fast forward through things, but then I was like, I just look it up online. I I, I I was able to adjust a little more of the terminology online. Oh, okay. uh, to be honest, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like yeah, that was that, that was my experience with it. Yeah, I rewound in in moment. Like I just had to constantly rewind just to mm-hmm. like, okay, I think I got this. Let me just do it one more time <laughs> to make sure I got it. So, uh that that is that is my ratings. But, you know, we always say here like feel free to watch it, judge it yourself and let us know. <laughs> Okay, let's get into our recommendations. So for me, I am going to recommend three movies that I think for me personally did a better job explaining um, uh, financial uh, things. (laughs) (laughs) First first off, uh, The Other Guys. I don't know if you guys have watched this movie, but it's with Will Ferrell and uh, Mark Wahlberg. And it's a comedy based on like, based on like uh i think it's a hedge fund manager is like stealing money and they're like these two police officers these goofy police officers are trying to figure it out it actually i've seen that movie and i don't remember that that was the plot of it at all it adequately actually talks about like like market manipulation uh ponzi schemes and the the end credits actually have stats about like white collar crime I, I know that because I've seen that movie so many times because it is one of the funniest movies to me ever. I feel like the only thing I remember from that movie is the like the, yeah, the rock and the yeah. who was it? Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson. Yeah. Jumping off the roof of a building and dying. Five minutes in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all I remember from that movie. Yes. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot, but I did not remember it was about financial crime. Yeah. So it's uh, worth a rewatch then. It is, it is, it is. Uh the big short. A uh, very good. Uh, uh, that's a drama. I think it, it won an Oscar too. I want to say, and it it clearly outlines the financial crisis, the uh, two thousand eight financial crisis, like way better. And then uh, a throwback, fun with Dick and Jane. Oh, um, yes. another comedy that really, wow. really talks about like uh, financial literacy and stuff like that. So. I feel like I feel like if it's explained to me in a right way, I can I can understand it. And these are three movies that they're full, you know, feature length movies that do it, that explain financial situations in a matter that is either funny or dramatic that just kind of makes sense. So those are my recommendations uh, for today. Uh, Sarah, what do you have for our listeners? 
Well, I'm going to recommend a true crime book, so a huge swerve away from the white-collar crime uh, mm-hmm. of uh, Wall Street and across the world. Uh, so the book I'm going to recommend is called Notes on a Killing, Love, Lies and Murder in a Small New Hampshire Town. It's by Kevin Flynn and Rebecca Lavoy. It's a very strange and atmospheric book about a sudden disappearance of a very popular woman in a small town and the dogged steps towards uh, solving the mystery. I liked it a lot. It's, it's, you're really there. It's, it's very vivid and, as I say, atmospheric. And as always, we will put all of that in the show notes. Awesome. At Crime Scene, we are eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene R-H-A-P. That's at Crime S-E-E-N-R-H-A-P. Or email us uh, by sending emails to Crime Scene R-H-A-P at gmail.com. Jason, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, J-A-Y-R-1-0-8-5. I'm on a bit of a hiatus right now from all things uh, podcasting, except for, uh, you know, every now and then some pop-ins like here. Uh, but mm-hmm. anything that does come up, that's where I will be posting it. Uh, so, yeah, check me out over there. Sarah, how about you? What do you have going on? Where can people find you? People can follow me at Sarah Carradine on Twitter, uh, and you can find me recapping Welcome to Chippendales, uh, which is a, a drama series on Hulu, and those recaps are over on Post Show Recaps. A lot of fun we're having over there. Come and join us. And what about you, Mari? You can find me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's two like the number two. Um, whatever I'm doing, all my podcasts, I'll post there. So just make sure you go and follow me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. Follow Crime Scene on Twitter to find out what we'll be covering uh, next week. Also, don't forget to send us your comments and questions. Thanks to Jason Reed for joining us, Will from America for the theme music, Tricky Rice for the graphics, and Chelsea Lesser and Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time, case closed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.